Imagine this. You're in your 30s, you're a single mom with three kids, and you start experiencing pain and fatigue, more than the normal amount one would expect in these trying circumstances. So you go to the doctor and you get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and you're told that there's nothing you can do to reverse the process. The best the doctors can do is give you medication to help alleviate some of your symptoms. And your outlook is grim. The doctor has told you that you'll continue to decline, that your pain, discomfort, and exhaustion will inevitably get worse. And since the doctors are the experts, you accept this prognosis. And for the next decade of your life, your condition deteriorates, and you end up accumulating 10 different medications to try and alleviate some of these symptoms. And now you're only in your 40s. Things are looking grim. Very grim. Is there any hope for some return to normalcy? My guest today says absolutely yes, that you can take control of your symptoms and turn your life around. Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, no matter your age, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Julie Michelson is here, and she's going to tell us how we can get our arthritis under control and go back to enjoying life to the fullest. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Living Libations. It is so hard to find truly organic and natural beauty products that don't contain harsh chemicals. Most beauty products on the market are loaded with chemicals, sulfates, and other unhealthy ingredients. Even so-called organic or natural brands often sneak in these harmful chemicals. But Living Libations is here to change all that. Their line of pure and organic Renegade Beauty products will make you look and feel your best without any of the harmful chemicals. They have a full line of beauty products for men and women that not only leave you clean, radiant, and smelling great, but all their products actually heal and nurture your skin's natural microbiome. If you're interested in learning more, head over to livinglibations.com and check out their full line of soaps, shampoos, cleansers, oral care, deodorant, natural makeup, and so much more. And because you listen to this show, you can get 10% off everything when you use the coupon code SILVEREDGE at checkout. That Silver Edge all run together with no spaces. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Julie Michelson. Julie is a best-selling author, international speaker, a national board-certified functional medicine health coach, and the host of the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. She is passionate about helping men and women who are struggling with inflammation take back control of their symptoms to recover their energy, focus, and vitality. I started out by asking Julie to share her personal story of how she overcame her rheumatoid arthritis. When I was in my early 30s, I was a newly divorced single mom with three young kids and started to notice 
some symptoms that seemed beyond just being a tired mom with three kids, started to experience pain and fatigue, and very quickly compared to most people was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And unfortunately for me at the time, I was told there was nothing that they could do except give me medications to slow my disease process so that I, they literally said, you know, you will continue to decline. We'll keep you as comfortable as we can for as long as we can. And I say, unfortunately, because at the time I believed them, you know, they were the experts and most things even online that you could find or read agreed. You know, if you had, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or any other autoimmune diagnosis, like that was it, you were stuck with it. And, you know, life wasn't going to look so good for you, basically, was, was where we started with this part of the journey. And I listened to my doctors and followed their advice for over 10 years and did exactly as expected, continued to decline and accumulate medications. Okay, so you had said that you were diagnosed in, in your 30s, and you mentioned that was early. When do people usually see RA come in? Is that something that older people get? Is it obviously you were in your 30s, right? I was in my 30s. I was told at the time, and again, this was a couple of decades ago. At the time, you know, they said, Oh, you're so young. You know, we're so sorry. It, it has become more and more common. I, I would say it was mostly diagnosed 40s and 50s, 60s back then. Now, unfortunately, Autoimmunity is on the rise at, at such an exponential level, especially in this country, that I, I wouldn't say, you know, that's that young to be diagnosed. And there is also something called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which is, you know, occurs in children as well. But I, it only took me a matter of months to get my diagnosis once I really realized something was terribly wrong most people it can take up to eight years. And so that that part of the process was fast for me. Got you. And so what are the symptoms of, you had mentioned that you had pain, you had fatigue. And I, when I think of arthritis, I think of sore joints. What are the classic symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis? Classic symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis are small joint pain. So the joints in your hands and feet, fingers, toes, sometimes ankles, elbows, wrists, less likely to be shoulders, hips, big joints. Although many of us, I had also, you know, pain in my back, I had pain in other places that didn't quote unquote fit the diagnosis. And again, I was young and I talk about a lot normalizing our symptoms. So I had recently moved to Colorado. I was an avid hiker and my first really significant bad joint pain was in my feet. And I, so I did, you know, oh, well, you're hiking and you're chasing children. And I went, I got better hiking boots. I got fitted. I, I was living outside of Boulder, Colorado at the time. There were plenty of great places to get, you know, custom orthotics and those things that, that we think like, okay, there must be something outside of me going on. But the fatigue that I, I refer to is, it's not just, it's so different than being tired right? It's, it's like every cell in your body is exhausted. For me, that's actually what drove me to look deeper for answers. My middle son, who was about maybe six or seven at the time, came in one night in the middle of the night. He wasn't feeling well, and I couldn't move my body. 
I was terrified. I could not get up to take care of him. And that was for me when I was like, okay, something's really wrong. Just a very different than I'm really tired. Yeah, I mean, I can see how that certainly would be quite alarming and cause you to look for some help. Now, you had mentioned that the diagnosis was RA and the treatment was meds, right? To just treat the symptoms. And is that just what types of, are we talking about just treating the pain or what kind of meds come along with a diagnosis of RA back then? Interestingly, hasn't changed much in the Western medicine approach since I was diagnosed. Typically, first line of treatment is is a medication that's actually an oral chemo drug. So they just right away are trying to just get your body to, to quiet its immune response down. On top of that, they add, there's a class of drugs called biologics. And, and these two classes of, of drugs, the first one I mentioned is called a DMARD. It's a um, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. And, and there are several of them, but that, that is usually first line of treatment. And we're told, and still people are told, you, know, you have to take these drugs no matter how you feel, or your body is going to continue to attack itself. Like there's no other way around it. And so I did for years. I took those. Yes, pain management was a thing. By the end of that first decade, I was on narcotics. I was on muscle relaxers. I was on you know, those other two classes of drugs. I was on several drugs. I ended up on 10 prescriptions at one point by the, you know, all at once just to function. And none of them were working. And most of them were from symptoms the other medications were causing. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a story. You ended up on 10 prescriptions and some of those prescriptions probably causing more problems in there than they're solving there. Now, I want to back up a little bit. And you had mentioned that autoimmunity, uh, autoimmune diseases are on the rise here in the US. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's several factors terrible food supply, if you can call it that, or, you know, our diets is, is a tremendous um, contributing factor. Our toxin loads also are hugely impactful. These are, these are things that as I now know, autoimmunity doesn't just happen no matter your genetics. And there are always triggers. Um, we say in functional medicine, genetics may load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. And diet and toxins are two of the biggest contributors, including and as well as chronic stress. And so take, take those three things and look at where we are today. And you can imagine why these numbers are rising. Yeah, certainly we have a crisis, a food crisis and a toxic crisis. And I suppose we, we have a stress crisis. So maybe before we unpack these things, let's back up a little bit. Let's define autoimmunity. What what do you mean when you say autoimmune disorder or autoimmunity? Sure, absolutely. In the simplest forms, and there are more elegant ways to put it these days, but it, it is literally a process where the body starts to attack self, right? So that's that autoimmune. So we have an immune system. We want it to work. We want it to fight things off. And in any kind of an autoimmune disease, what ends up happening is the body then starts destructing its own tissue. So for rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, that damage typically starts, as I mentioned, in small joints, very specific kind of damage, different than osteoarthritis, which is, 
typically wear and tear or injury related where you're putting on bone. RA is is a different. It changes. Actually, the synovial fluid in the joint changes, starts to change. And we think of that as a joint disease, but what happens untreated as it continues is it can attack really any other organ system in the body as well. And, and so whether it's something like psoriasis where it's skin or, my gosh, there's just so many, you know, fibromyalgia affects the nerve, it, it's, it's this turning on self. And what happens once that process starts, often people will accumulate more and more autoimmune diagnoses. So it's almost more rare to just stick with one and not add some others throughout life. Okay, so that's that's not painting a very pretty picture. Then uh, we have the body attacking itself in some place, <laughs> maybe starting in the in the small joints, like you said. But then it's it has this tendency to. Is it correct to say it spreads? It it if you think of as we now understand, as I now understand, the driver of autoimmunity is chronic inflammation. So, and I'm sure that's come up on the show before, right? Sure. When you talk about heart disease, when you talk about blood sugar, when you talk about cancer, when you, t- you know, all of these things are any chronic disease you can think of, the root of it is chronic inflammation. And so I, I would say if that chronic inflammation doesn't get addressed, that's when we tend to accumulate more and more and more diagnoses. And so it could be even something like, Maybe it's not a different autoimmune diagnosis. Maybe it's now you've, you've got, you know, heart issues, right? Because you've got inflammation in your arteries. So it, it, it's just, it becomes a spiral. Okay. So we have this chronic inflammation and, and we know that's bad. We, we know that the main causers here are going to be our diet, going to be the toxic load in our environment and our stress. What can we do? We, we know that the medicines aren't actually curing this. They're probably masking some of the symptoms from this. What can we do then for folks listening that have RA or maybe are wondering if they have RA? What sort of prescription do we have in order to kind of right the ship and get this, this chronic inflammation back under control? Absolutely. I would say, you know, listeners could probably pick up almost any episode of this podcast and take the advice given, and that would help. So we're talking, it's lifestyle. It's changing your lifestyle, getting a nutrient-dense diet, eliminating certain things that we know are inflammatory for everybody in our diet, the processed foods, the gluten, often dairy is an issue. And I always say that's a great place to start. Everybody does have kind of a different combo tipping point of of triggers. and, And so I... You know, being a functional medicine health coach, highly recommend good, really good labs and knowing where to, where to, it's easy for me to say, well, if you fix these five things, <laughs> right, if your diet is good and your stress is managed and your toxins are, are handled and your sleep is great and your exercise is on point, you'll feel great. Well, that, that's a little overwhelming. That's a lot. But starting with a whole foods diet as step one, real food. That, that's such a trigger for autoimmunity because what is considered food in that standard American diet, our body literally doesn't recognize it as food and it's creating an immune response and that starts the spiral. Okay. So, and folks listening to this probably know that I'm all, all on board for all of that. 
if you just did nothing but change your diet so that you're eating whole foods, you'd be heads and shoulders above most of the world that eats that standard American diet you're referencing. So cleaning up our diet clearly is one thing that can help uh, control the autoimmune. And you had mentioned like gluten, uh, dairy, those are a couple of triggers that are common for folks, right? So do you recommend people do like elimination diets to figure out if there is a specific food group that's triggering this? Or how do you go about advising folks to, other than just start making healthier choices and get rid of some of that ultra-processed crappy food they're eating? Yes, absolutely. Elimination diets are key. I did my, my healing journey was all through trial and tribulation, and it took years and years and years. I am an autoimmune paleo coach, and that's a great place to start. I, I, I use that as the basis with my one-on-one clients, although we go deeper. Lots of us, everybody actually, by the time they have autoimmunity, for sure has what we call leaky gut, which leads to a bunch of food sensitivities which can unfortunately be to wonderful things like spinach and good nutrient-dense veggies and proteins even. So I go deeper in my practice, but I, I say something like AIP, even a Whole30, which is a much simpler, readily available, you know, a little less intimidating kind of elimination diet, uh, is a great place to start to just allow that inflammation to settle down and identify any elimination diet you do, the most important part is the reintroduction because that's where you really learn what is impacting you. Gotcha. And when we say eliminate, so if I'm, for example, I suspect maybe dairy is causing some inflammation for me. Do I take it out for a week, for two weeks, for a month? What's a good period of time for me to know to have long enough without that before trying to reintroduce it and see what happens? I always say at least 30 days. Okay. And and it's going to depend on if you're 30 days in and you feel like a rock star, then you're ready to reintroduce. Gotcha. And then what are we looking for? I mean, this is probably a pretty obvious answer here, but what are we looking for when we reintroduce? So let's say I, I suspect dairy might be uh, part of my problem. I take it out for 30 days. What am I looking for as I introduce it? Is, am I looking just for that crappy feeling again? Or what am I looking for specifically? I love that question. It's not always obvious. And that's the funny thing with a food sensitivity, you know, a food allergy, you eat the food, you know, right away. So it can be something like, yes, my, my symptoms came back, right? My pain is back. My fatigue Um, often the easiest to detect and determine would be a gut issue. Oh my gosh, I've been eating gluten my whole life and now I can't eat gluten. And I know because, you know, I've got to run to the bathroom. Those are really pretty easy to determine. I always, when we do reintros, we, we always wait a f- at least a few days in between foods because a food sensitivity can take up to three days to show up. These immunoglobulin responses are slow and they, the symptoms can be vague. So it, it maybe it's, it's a mood thing. I have a lot of clients that didn't connect food to mood and that wasn't certainly what they were coming to me for, but they, they find out, you know, oh, it's happened a few times. They had some clients with husbands who say, please don't eat dairy. You get really grumpy. Now they know they can identify headaches, interrupted sleep. You know, again, the skin stuff can be a little more obvious, but can take a few days to show up. Dry eyes, it's a sign of inflammation. So literally any, anything, again, these are things we kind of discount as we move through our day, but we want to really be detectives. 
Okay. So, and that's kind of what I was trying to pull out there. So sometimes these food sensitivities can be subtle, right? When we reintroduce them, it's not like a, if you have a gluten intolerance and you take it out and you put it back in, you're going to know pretty quickly and pretty dramatically that that gluten doesn't agree with you. But sometimes if it's something that's a, a less severe reaction, it might be a little tougher to figure out what that mm-hmm. is. So got to be, like you said, you have to be a little bit of a, a detective to kind of ferret that out. So let me ask you this. What about alcohol? Because I know that there's a lot of folks that, well, they have they enjoy their wine. And is is alcohol known to be an aggravator of autoimmunity? That's such a great question. And I'm, I'm, did you listen to my podcast this week? <laughs> I, no, I didn't, but maybe I need to go back and listen. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, it is a great question. So I used to be a pretty tough cookie when it came to alcohol. I was a no, no, never, never kind of coach. And I have become a gentler coach <laughs> as I've worked with more and more people. And, and really, fi- again, it's all about figuring out it's individual, right? It's, it's, you know, Kevin, what works for you and and what works for me? So I referenced the podcast episode, the the one that dropped on my podcast this week was an interview uh, with Todd White, who's the founder of Dry Farm Wines. In my own health journey, I had given up all alcohol for many, many, many years. And I met Todd, I believe it was in 2016 at a conference and got introduced to dry farm wine and never looked back. It is a clean source. They're all beyond organic, low sugar, which is key. And that's why their wine is is so different. And it's the only wine I know I can drink and, and my sleep scores don't change. I feel great. I, you know, I'm a biohacker. It was my, my first entry into the health world. So I, I track lots of stuff. So it's whatever works for you in, in my local circles here in Colorado, also known jokingly as the tequila health coach, you know, I, I, and, and what led me there was I, I have a client who has cancer and we were working on reversing his cancer markers and he's doing keto diet and tequila is not going to kill him, right? He's going <laughs> to, he's not drinking margaritas to be clear. So I am very much about figuring out, you know, what works for you, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to ask that question because that, that comes up occasionally is that, you know, certainly in, in, in health and nutrition, you know, what is the role of alcohol there? And while it does have benefits for perhaps social or emotional reasons, it's, it's really hard to make a case that it has nutritional benefits. But to your point, there's- And it's a it, toxin. It is a toxin, right? But to your point, there's, and I think that things like coffees and wine, very oftentimes we don't realize these are very, I mean, these crops are heavily, heavily sprayed with pesticides typically, and it's hard to find very, very clean, both coffee, wine, things like that. So folks out there that are looking for ways to reduce their autoimmunity, maybe don't have to be complete teetotalers, but certainly should be looking very carefully at the quality of the the foods and beverages they're drinking. Which brings me to, I guess, the next point we talked about, we need to clean up our diet. The second point that you brought up was the environmental toxins. Talk to us a little bit about where are these environmental toxins hiding? Oh, where aren't they hiding, Kevin? Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> and again, yeah. 
They are everywhere. And I always feel like um, I'm not trying to be, you know, miss doom and gloom. They're in your air, they're in your water, they're in your furniture, they're in our personal care products. They are literally everywhere. And the good thing is we can control our exposure. We can, not all of it. We can't avoid them, but we can reduce our exposure enough to allow our body to handle what it's going to get by doing the things like making sure in our homes we are, you know, using clean products on our bodies, around our bodies, avoiding plastics. I mean, I have, there's so many things in the kitchen, just changes just in the kitchen alone you can make that really reduce your toxin load. The first thing is, is awareness, right? What's in your water? What's in your toothpaste? Those little, every little change. And again, that's a, I know I've heard you, we talk, you talk about step-by-step, right? I don't ever have anybody go in and throw out all the products in their home. And first of all, that's expensive and overwhelming and stressful. And But every time you replace a product, if you are thoughtful about using something that you know what's in it, you will eventually seriously reduce your toxin load. Yeah. And I think people that aren't really aware of this might be surprised where all these toxins are hiding because you, we had joked at the beginning of this, that they're everywhere and they, they are. So if you go into your bathroom and you just pick out some of your favorite cleaning products that you put on your body every single day and start Googling some of the ingredients on that stuff, even the kind that says it's paraben free and it's cruelty free and it's organic mm-hmm. and it has organic mango and coconut in it. When you flip it over and you start reading the ingredients back there and get a look for code words like fragrance, which is just a code word for toxin, there, there's just yep. so many chemicals everywhere. You had mentioned the kitchen, certainly all the plastic that's in there, things, just things that you don't even think about, your detergent, your laundry detergent, your dryer sheets, your certainly if you have those little glade plug-in things. I mean, it's just everywhere there are these toxins. And to your point, it can be overwhelming if you try and lift and shift everything all at once. But if we just start making thoughtful choices here and there, maybe start in the bathroom, maybe start in the kitchen, start with your cleaning supplies and take a look at that. It doesn't take a whole lot of research to figure out some healthier choices. And it's a, it's a journey, right? It's not a destination. You'll never completely eliminate all of the environmental toxins around you. But if you can reduce that load considerably, not only will that make you a healthier human, but it sounds like it's going to help you control your rheumatoid arthritis. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And also I think helps you impact where companies are going. I mean, if we keep buying the toxins, they're going to keep selling us the toxins. So every choice we make is a vote with our dollars as to, but I I want to really just circle back to what you said about, you know, that front of the package is marketing. So if it says natural, well, lead is natural, but I don't want it in my lipstick. Thanks anyway. So like you said, you've got to flip it over and really read that label two great resources because it it could be a full-time job trying to find clean products. And so since this is only one thing, I one area I touch on for my personal life, I use um, ewg.org is environmental working groups website. They rate all kinds of products. And there's another one called think dirty and they both have apps 
where you can even scan stuff in stores and it'll give you a rating. It'll tell you how does it score and why, because maybe you don't care if it has an allergen, if you know that it's not a problem for you, but you want to make sure it doesn't have fragrance or toxins. Those are those are great uh, resources. Thanks for sharing that. And folks, I will drop both of those into the show notes as well. So you can check that out there. So speaking of toxins and just kind of maybe think of endocrine disruptors that are in a lot of these toxins mm-hmm. as well. I wanted to ask you about the role of hormones and hormonal health when it comes to RA. Is that, for example, does menopause come to play in? Is a woman more likely to experience RA symptoms during that time? Or is there a role of hormones in RA? There is, a, I believe, a big role of hormones in all autoimmunity. There, women to men then outnumber in, in the autoimmune world. There's about three to one, four to one. So way, way, way more common in, in women than men. And I, I actually think one of the reasons why the male numbers are on the rise is because of endocrine disruptors, for sure. And so, yeah, not only is it what's happening, what are we being bombarded with in our products, but for sure, hormone changes. So menopause can play a really big role. Childbirth can play a really big role. A lot of women have onset of symptoms during childbirth, and a lot of women will have symptoms temporarily disappear while they're pregnant. Yeah, so that probably would indicate that there's a, a hormonal factor there. Okay, so we've covered food. We've covered some environmental toxicity ideas here. The last one that you mentioned was stress. And we live in a time when stress is just, it's a part of our normal existence. And of course, at one point, our stress response was, it saved us, right? If there was a saber-toothed tiger coming around the boulder there, we'd need to get out of the way or figure out a way to, to deal with it. But today, our stress is more likely going to come from our kids or from our spouse or from our work or from traffic. And especially if we have chronic stress and we have those chronically elevated cortisol levels, which is leading to this inflammation, that's very, very bad all the way around, right? What is the role of stress and autoimmunity? It is tremendous. It is actually now the, I used to start with clients with diet. We start with stress management now, because as you mentioned, our systems are beautifully set up to handle acute stressors. And while we may experience and often do experience acute stressors, we often have more than one and we often have chronic stressors. And so it always amazes me, even today in this pressure cooker we're in right now, people will show up and they'll say, I'm not stressed. You know, and then they'll tell me about the three companies they run and, 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 and. And I always say anybody with chronic illness has chronic stress, right? We're, you're compensating all day long to accomplish in a day what you know, anybody else can do with ease. And most of the clients I work with are, are high achievers. They're entrepreneurs, they're business owners. And I, I love to get to people before we even get a diagnosis. You know, let's turn it around, keep that productivity up. But if you are on this planet today, you experience chronic stress And so when I say manage your stress, I'm not always talking about eliminating your stress. Most of us don't have that luxury. Some we can. Sometimes we need to take a look and see, you know, where we can make changes and reduce the stress load. But creating those daily routines and practices to compensate 
and get us back into that healing parasympathetic state out of that stress state. It, it is, you cannot heal in while you're in stress response. You just can't. Yeah, that's very well said. You cannot heal while you're in stress response. And the fact that most of us spend a lot of our time in a stress response, that doesn't bode well. So what are some of your favorite, um, <laughs> some, what are some of your favorite ways of managing stress? You talked about some sort of a daily stress management system or practice. Yes. I, and it, it's going to look different for everybody. I always say I, I, for everyone who's creating a stress management routine, it should, you should pull from two baskets. We've got the tried and true practices that are scientifically backed. You know, we know they work. Things like meditation, time in nature, intentional breathing. There's so many. Those are just a few. I say you can actually go outside and do some of those and get like, you know, double, triple bang for the buck. But whatever, and I, I, we could do a whole show just on people's resistance to meditation. <laughs> but whatever resonates with you, whatever practice you will do daily is the one. I love intentional breathing because... It doesn't take any time. And once people kind of have that as a go-to tool, if they have a daily practice of something simple, like four, seven breathing, you can get more complicated with it. But that can be something that also on the spot can help you just pop out of that stress response. So I love that one. And you can do it with people and they don't know you're doing it. If somebody's pushing your buttons, you can breathe. And, but then the other basket that's so overlooked and I think so important is what I call fill your cup, right? Where's your joy? We are go, 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 get this done, work, take care of other people. Where, it, where are you refueling? What is bringing you joy? What is relaxing you? Those things that often we think of as luxuries, right, are really necessities, and so incorporating those into our weekly routine, maybe not daily, I'm not going to say get a massage every day or take a bubble bath. Sometimes it's, I, I have clients, we joke, people are like, really, that's my homework. Watch something funny, laugh. Where's the, like, we need to laugh. Laughter's healing. So, and sometimes it's time with the kids that's not doing homework, right? Like just, we haven't run around outside in a while or you know, I have a client who loves to watch puppy videos because it makes her laugh. Like, you know, it's, this is where it gets really personal. And often these are things that have fallen off because we're too grown up to spend time doing it. Yeah. So it really sounds like a, a system of self-care then you're talking about some sort of that tried and true daily practice. And for a lot of folks, that's a, a prayer practice or a meditation practice or a journaling practice. You had mentioned four, seven breathing or some kind of a, a breathing practice that you can do in the moment. And I love that you add to that the, you called it refill your cup, do something that brings you joy and lights you up. And that can also help to decrease the the amount of stress in your life. So Julie, if we've got somebody listening to this and they're a little more advanced down the RA road, maybe they're where you were uh, a few years ago and they've got all these different meds and they're in this chronic pain and maybe feeling some sort of hopelessness. And here we are saying, well, Hey, if we just eat right and clean up some toxins and maybe relax a little bit, we'll feel better. It's, is that fair to say to somebody that's pretty far down the road with RA? Can they 
can they realistically change where they are now? Can you, re I guess in other words, I'm asking, can you reverse where you are in RA? Absolutely. I was, when I was in my forties, they were trying to talk me into getting a handicap placard on, on my car. Wow. I now live on 10 acres with six horses and three dogs and run a couple of businesses and um, fully, you know, I just did a, my first scuba diving trip. I am turning 53 in a few weeks. So yes, you absolutely can reverse your symptoms. It doesn't matter whether you're newly diagnosed and you say, no, I'm not going down that road. Or like I was, you're more than a decade, two, three, four. I, I have a, a client I worked with who was 72 who turned around 70 years of autoimmunity at age 72. So it is never too late. And I'm not saying just doing the things we discussed will take you fully back to complete health, but they will make such a major change. Sometimes we need to dig deeper. Sometimes those toxins I mentioned are things like viruses or infections or so, you know, I, I'm not saying there's no need for <laughs> any deeper digging ever, but even for me, just making the food and stress management changes were enough to get my brain fog gone or, or almost gone. So I could continue to learn, you know, every little change gives you more energy to make another change. And so I say, yes, no matter where you are or how long you've been struggling, just pick one of the things we talked about today and start implementing that. Okay. That, and that's fantastic news, right? I, I think that anybody listening to this that's down the, the road of autoimmunity and has maybe had some feelings of hopelessness or helplessness in that condition, because a lot of times what happens, let's face it, we get diagnosed by an expert and well, that's it. And especially if a doctor says, well, there's not really a cure and this is just the way it is. It's just going to deteriorate. Let's just manage it. And oftentimes you get these people get told they have to limit their movement and don't do things that cause, you know, that aggravate the pain, like walking or moving. I feel right. like that's a really okay. bad place to be, right? It is. And we can feel stuck there. And yeah. that's why that's why I'm here talking to you, because we don't need to be stuck. Okay. And, and I know that uh, before we started recording, you had mentioned not normalizing symptoms. Can you Talk a little bit about what you yeah. mean by not normalizing symptoms. Absolutely. I think that so many of us, as we age, again, I mentioned things like pain, right? Aches, fatigue. You know, we wake up in the morning and we're not feeling rested and we're like, oh, I'm in my 50s. That's, a, you know, with uh, this is the story we hear that, that aging equals decline, and so I wanted to touch on that because often when, if we actually pay attention to those signals our body's giving us, those are signs of chronic inflammation. All of those things are inflammation, not age. And so if we can catch them early and recognize them as such and, and then say, okay, you know, no, I don't have RA, but I... I certainly don't feel like I felt 20 years ago, right? I don't have the energy. Oh yeah, my joints are hurting. You know, and again, it doesn't need to be debilitating. Don't wait until it's debilitating. But these are the things even for listeners that, you know, have never heard of autoimmunity and 
is the furthest thing from their, their mind. If you're feeling like you're declining due to age, I, I would offer that you are inflamed and addressing that inflammation will help you feel younger and younger as you get older. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I, I also believe that aging does not equal just a, an inevitable decline. I mean, look, we're all going to age. Nobody wins that war, but we have so much control over how we age. And to your point, all of these healthy things we've talked about can reduce inflammation, which goes such a long ways towards your health in general, but specifically towards reducing these autoimmune markers that, that you're talking about. So if somebody suspects that they're just starting to get rheumatoid arthritis, maybe their hands or joints, like you said, those small joints are starting to ache, at what point do they need to seek help? In other words, if all of a sudden I'm getting these joints in my knuckles, should I start doing some of these lifestyle things we talked about? Or should I go to the doctor and have that looked at? I, I would say both. I, I, I absolutely start doing the lifestyle things. They're only ever going to help. I highly recommend, and this is because of my own journey and what I do, that that you seek a functional medicine practitioner because they're going to be looking for what is causing that and not looking for the diagnosis so they can give you the drug. It's a different approach. And I am not anti-prescription. They have a time and a place, often even in functional medicine. We will use the prescriptions as needed until we get those changes made, right? We want everybody to be comfortable and living their best life. But so I, I say both, I, but there's no, I wouldn't wait to start making the lifestyle changes until you see a doctor because, and for those that, that maybe a functional medicine practitioner is not a possibility, absolutely then make those changes and continue to, to learn and look at, be your own detective, look under those rocks, yeah, be your own healthcare advocate, right? I, I, th I think that's a great way of, of summing that yes. up. Okay. Well, Julie, what is next for you? What's on the horizon for you personally? Oh, my gosh. The sky's the limit. Right? <laughs> I am, yeah, I'm working on um, some new some expanding business opportunities. And I am doing all of the things. It's my goal in my 50s and 60s to do the things I wasn't doing in my 30s and 40s. So embracing travel, you know, I am riding my horses again. I am hiking again. I am enjoying things like scuba diving and stuff I've never done. Because, you know, you mentioned that helpless feeling people get with chronic illness, life tends to get smaller and smaller. And so I don't even know what the bigger and bigger looks like. But finding a way to, to keep getting this message out there to inspire people to look for answers, you know, to really know that there is hope and they can turn it around. And we're doing that through, I'm doing it through programs and coaching and my podcast and about to start a new business that will actually allow some people access to the things like the functional medicine labs without having to see a doctor. Some people just, they want to know, right? Yeah. I just, I want the data and those labs are hard to get their ha your hands on. So we're about a month or two away from launching where you can just go online and get the labs and get the supplements and, and get as much or as little input from the medical side as, as necessary. So empowerment. 
Empowerment. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that message that you're going to live basically the best part of your life here in your 50s and 60s because you gave up a lot of that, unfortunately, in the 30s and 40s as you kind of were almost a, a victim of this disease, right? And you were just kind of held a prisoner there and you figured out a way out of that. So that's very, very inspirational. Absolutely love that. So how can people then connect with you if they want to learn more about you or potentially work with you? The easiest place to find me is jm.coach. That'll lead you either to my website, my podcast, my social. There's a free gift on there and that you can find me in all the places. Julie Michelson anywhere. Uh, my business is Julie Michelson Coaching. I always joke my name is spelled wrong. There's no A in Michelson, but just by name, I'm around. Your autoimmune coach, I think on Instagram, but jm.coach is kind of the road that'll lead you to all places. It's the easiest. Okay. And I can drop that into the show notes as well. And you, as we had mentioned earlier, you're also the host of your own podcast. Is it Inspired Living with Autoimmunity? Is, is that right? It is indeed. Absolutely. Okay, great. So folks that are dealing with autoimmune issues, that's another fantastic uh, resource. Certainly recommend you check that out. So Julie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your personal journey with us, as well as all of your knowledge and wisdom and your inspiration with us. So I certainly wish you all the best in all of your future endeavors. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Okay, folks, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. You can find all the links to the resources we discussed in this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 110. And you can continue the conversation over there as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on today's show. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I also want to let you know that if you've enjoyed today's podcast, I have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find guides with my top tips on exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you in your health and wellness journey. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. And until next time, stay strong.